Well, should we get started? It is uh, 9.30. If you haven't noticed, I'm not Ken. So, uh, so Pastor Doug called me on Tuesday morning. I was in Atlanta and said, hey, can you cover for Ken today? So, so here I am. Um, I want to ask everybody a question, so start off with a question. And I'm going to try to start right on time, and then we'll just keep on, keep on trucking. So is anybody here... Is anybody here tired of seeing evil win? Okay, we got one, two, three, four, five, six. I'll count you for two. So, this is, so all right, yeah. It sure seems like that's happening a lot lately, doesn't it? It just seems like uh, evil is, is just taking off. What's that? Yeah, it's not for you guys. It's actually for the recording. So, yeah, so... So it's just, uh, that's Dale, we need trying to get that. So we, we do this as a podcast, so if you go to our website, you can pull these up later. So Dale edits those, and he's just using the mic. But anyway, I want to tell you a little joke. Now, this joke here may be a complete dud, so I need two volunteers to do a courtesy laugh. Pam, you're one of those. And then, okay, so just a courtesy laugh. Um, and I'm, I'm going to try to get it right. So these two kids have been learning about Satan in Sunday school, and they're walking home, and one kid turns to the other and says, hey, what do you think about this whole Satan business? And the other kid says, well, it could be a lot like Santa Claus. And he said, what do you mean? Well, you know, Santa Claus turned out to be your dad. <laughs> okay, well, now, <clears throat> here's the point of that joke, okay? The point of that joke is that Satan is a very, very much a real, real entity, okay? He's very much real. He's the prince of the power of the air, right? He's the prince of this world. He's been defeated. He's been defeated. Thank God for that, or thank Jesus for that. Thank the Holy Spirit for that. Jesus has vanquished him through the cross and holds the title deed of this earth, right? And he is returning. But we need to follow the example when dealing with Satan, uh, not to make a joke like I just did there, but to do what the archangel Michael did in Jude verse 9. You guys know that? Jude is one of these short books without any chapters on it. So in verse 9, the archangel Michael, he doesn't bind Satan. He doesn't um, rebuke Satan. He just says, the Lord rebuke you. So when we're dealing with evil in the world today, let's just uh, take that example. God's got this, and he will, will judge evil. And uh, before we go any further, let's pray. Does anybody have any special prayer requests this morning that we can address right here, right now? Of course, that's putting everybody on the spot, right? So I'll pray. Let's pray. <clears throat> Father God, we come before you this morning. We want to thank you for your word. We want to thank you for uh, the wisdom and the truths contained in it. And we pray that as we uh, go about looking into your word and see what it says to us today as we deal with uh, evil running rampant in the world, that we will uh, receive from you the wisdom we need in order to deal with these things. And we pray this in the name of Jesus, our Messiah, the one that vanquished our enemy. In his name we pray, amen. amen. So um, what are we going to do today? We're going to see what the Bible has to say on how to live when the bad guys are winning, okay? And it's a difficult position to be in, right? Because I'm not doing a series on a book, which is what I would prefer to do. I'm just kind of plugging in here while Ken is gone. But uh, my hope is that we'll come, you come out of here today encouraged that we're on the right team, okay? So uh, I know there's just a lot of stuff. If you read the news at all or even get a hint of it, there's just a lot of things going on that are not, are, are just evil. Uh, in fact, uh, with that in mind, can anybody just, just shout out any example that you can think just of this last week or maybe the last couple weeks of, of evil in the world? Any, any examples you can come up with? 
Oh, come on. He can do better than this, I'm sure. Just think. Cuba. Cuba, okay. Specifically, how is that? Is it people's reaction to it or what's going on there? People are being oppressed to the extent where they're rioting. Obviously, they are truly being oppressed. Mm -hmm. And then uh, it's sad that those that uh, in this country that speak up for human rights and so on and so forth are not so much engaged in that Bingo. situation. Hypocritical. So hypocritical. Anything else? All right. What's that? The killings. The Violence. Killings, the Innocent people mm -hmm. being hurt. Yeah. We're on the yeah. To set world or uh, country records, right, for the United States and violence and people. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So violence increasing, hypocrisy. Anything else? How about the promotion of unrighteous values, things that run counter to the Word of God, right? Which are those things for sure. Uh, when it deals with human sexuality, for example, or with marriage, or with uh, abortion. It just seems like things, it's not just being reported more, it, it seems to me like it's increasing. And I think we can, we can agree on that or we can disagree on that, but I think for the most part, that's what I'm seeing. I think there's three reactions we can have, and yes, I'm holding three. I have the habit sometimes that we got three reactions. I'm actually doing this, but so one, two, three. So there's three reactions, and the first two that I think we can have as believers, but specifically as Bible believers, okay? We have the sign outside the church that if you sit there and you watch it scroll through, it says the Bible is, what is that word that it says? Authority. Bibles are authority. So it's our foundation is what we're going we're gonna to stand on. So there's three reactions, but I'm going to hold two. I'm gonna, there's two reactions I want to focus on. The third reaction, I think it relates to the other, other two, when we encounter evil in the world, okay? And we see that increasing. So one reaction, and I'm going to put it over here on the right for me or over here on the right for you, is to be overly focused on end times prophecy to the point where it affects your ministry, Okay, so overly focus on end times issues well, to the point where it affects your ministry. And without mentioning any names, I have a friend that wrote me a letter recently in which I'm seeing that. The letter starts with, hey, how you doing? And he immediately goes, hey, I don't think I'm going to partner with you on this because I believe the Lord is coming back within the next seven years and that's not going to work. <laughs> <laughs> and guess what? He's just a committed believer. And I'm going to talk to him about this. So it's not like I'm talking behind his back. We, we're, we're having this discussion right now. And you know, you'll never know who he is. So don't ask, okay? But that's important because he's not alone in doing that. And he has very good reasoning for it. So he's thinking through this. At the same time, to his credit, he is working hard for the Lord. But you see how that affects his ministry when he's starting to make decisions based on something that we don't know the day or the hour, right? So that's one re, uh, reaction, overly focused on end times prophecy to the point that it affects your, your, um, your ministry, okay? Now, <clears throat> I love that sound, by the way. That's good. So the other one is the I just don't care attitude. I just don't care. So people stick their head in the sand and then la, 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 okay? Um, so that's another reaction. Now, the third reaction which I think is the root, and I may be wrong, it, I, don't, I don't think it's important that I'm wrong or right here, but I think it's the root, is bitterness and resentment directed towards God. 
And that's really what we're going to address today as we look at Psalm 73. So if you want to go ahead and look at Psalm 73 right now and have that open and ready, um, one thing that I will do a little bit differently is I'm actually going to read today, and I'm getting ahead of myself a little bit, I'm going to read today from two different translations. And we're going to really spend some time just listening to the Word of God. I'm, not, I'm going to unwrap it for you a little bit, but what I want to do first is, is, is do that. But so this attitude of bitterness and resentment towards God, and, and as I said, this is our focus today, and I think it works itself like this. The first related to overly focused on end times prophecy would be, if you're not doing anything, God, about evil in this world, take me home already. That's kind of that attitude. And I'm, I'm not pointing fingers at anybody, but there's this sense that, hey, if you're not going to do anything about evil, then let's bring this so, show to an end and take me home. The second one is, and this relates to the I don't care uh, group, if you're not going to do anything about evil, God, then I don't care either. Now, I, I realize that these are extremes, right? I'm painting an extreme with a purpose here. And I'm not even going to suggest to you that the truth is somewhere in the middle. Rather than doing that, let's just see what Psalm 73 has to say about that. But before we read that, we're, let's try to figure out what Psalm 73 is all about. Okay? First is a psalm that's considered a wisdom psalm. So what we need is wisdom in dealing with these problems, right? So it's a wisdom psalm, and that's very much what we need today. And it's dealing with a fallen world who seems to be in a free fall. Okay? Um, who was Asaph? Because if you look over there, it says Asaph, or Asaph, as they say in Hebrew, Asaph. So What's, what's his deal? Who is he? He's the leader of the music. He's leader of the music. He's a worship leader. And who, oh, since you, I got you now, so here you go. So who made him the worship leader? David. Yeah, King, King David. King David did that. He did that when he organized the Levitical priesthood. He didn't get to build the temple, but he did a lot of organization, which is really cool, right? So David organized Levitical priesthood. He organized a common priest. The third group that he organized was the musicians, of which Asaph was one of the leaders. Now, let me just deal with, uh, if any of you have looked into this, you'll see that there's lots of really smart PhD people that are faithless and that they have to question if Asaph is really a real person, okay? Oh, yeah, there's lots of that out there, okay? So... I believe he's very much a real person, okay? Incidentally, he wrote Psalm 50. He wrote Psalm 73 through 83, so he wrote a, a number of psalms. But I think that the root of some of the objections that some of these scholars have, Christian scholars have, to whether Asaph was a real person or not are, is rooted in faithlessness. I think some of them are really not believers. I think they look at the Bible and they're just looking at, what can I write that will make me sell some books? That's, I'm just being hypercritical right there, but I think that's true. Um, and I'm not going to mention any names, but I think there's a few of them out there, especially if they have a German sounding last name. I think it's very likely that you'll see that among them. And that's the school of higher criticism and all this nonsense of like, we're smarter and we're going to tell you what God really meant. And I think it's much easier just to look at the word of God and take it for what it is. Okay. Now, why do I believe that Asaph's a real person? I believe Asaph's a real person because he was a real person having real reactions, real reactions to real problems of evil in a very real world. And we're going to see that today. And when I say evil, I'm specifically mentioning, and here it comes, get ready, evil people. Oh, wait, wait, whoa, whoa, Tim. You can't say that. That's not cool. People aren't evil. But people do evil things, right? 
So the spirit there is the spirit of Matthew 12, 33, where Jesus says, either make the tree good and its fruit good, or make the tree bad and its fruit bad, for the tree is known by its fruit. So if people are performing evil deeds and worse, they're promoting, they're promoting evil. They're endorsing evil. Think of Romans chapter 1 here, okay? They're elevating evil. I think it's fair to say these are evil people doing evil things. Um, but what's my desire there? My desire is for redemption. I want people to come to know the Lord. I want them to be saved, no matter how much evil they're doing, okay? That's, and that's the desire of, of Jesus, right? That's why he came and lived and died. Now, I'm going to read for you from the ESV, and then I'm going to read from, this is not a heresy, the message, okay? Now, I'm fully aware of what that implies, but I want you all to just chillax for a minute and just listen. So I'm going to read from the ESV, then I'm going to read from the message, and don't worry, I'll turn myself into Pastor Doug. All right? Don't, don't worry about it. There's a point to this, okay? So here it comes. All right, so we're reading first from the ESV, and it's Psalm 73. So I want you just, just to listen. This is God speaking. Truly God is good to Israel, to those who are pure in heart. But as for me, my feet almost stumbled, my steps had nearly slipped. For I was envious of the arrogant when I saw the prosperity of the wicked. For they have no pangs until death. Their bodies are fat and sleek. They're not in trouble as others are. They're not stricken like the rest of mankind. Therefore, pride is their necklace. Violence covers them as a garment. Their eyes swell out through fatness. Their hearts overflow with follies. They scoff and speak with malice. Loftily, uh, they threaten oppression. They set their mouths against the heavens and their tongue thrusts through the earth. Therefore, his people turn back to them and find no fault in them. And they say, how can God know? Is there any knowledge in the Most High? Behold, these are the wicked. Always at ease, they increase in riches. All in vain have I kept my heart clean and washed my hands in innocence. For all the day long I have been stricken and rebuked every morning. If I had said, I will speak thus, I would have betrayed the generation of your children. But when I thought how to understand this, it seemed to me a wearisome task until... I went into the sanctuary of God. Then I discerned their end. Truly, you set them in slippery places. You make them fall to ruin. How they are destroyed in a moment, swept away utterly by terrors. Like a dream when one awakes. O Lord, when you rouse yourself, you despise them as phantoms. When my soul was embittered, when I was pricked in heart, I was brutish and ignorant. I was like a beast towards you. Nevertheless... I am continually with you. You hold my right hand. You guide me with your counsel, and afterward you will receive me to glory. Whom have I in heaven but you? And there is nothing on earth that I desire besides you. My flesh and my heart may fail, but God is the strength of my heart and my portion forever. Amen. For behold, those who are far from you shall perish. 
you put an end to everyone who is unfaithful to you. But for me, it is good to be near God. I have made the Lord God my refuge, that I may tell of all your works. Now here comes the heretical version, the message. And there's a point to this, so just bear with me. No doubt about it, God is good. Good to good people, good to good hearted. Good to, to the good hearted. But I nearly missed it, missed seeing his goodness. I was looking the other way, looking up to the people at the top, envying the wicked who have made it, who have nothing to worry about, not a care in the whole wide world. Pretentious with arrogance, they wear the latest fashions in violence. Pampered and overfed, decked out in silk bows of silliness. They jeer using words to kill. They bully their way with words. They're full of hot air, loud mouths disturbing the peace. People actually listen to them. Can you believe it? Like thirsty puppies, they lap up their words. What's going on here? Is God out to lunch? Nobody's tending the store. The wicked get by with everything. They have it made, piling up riches. I've been stupid to play by the rules. What has it gotten me? A long run of bad luck, that's what. A slap in the face every time I walk out the door. If I'd given in and talked like this, it's very important, I would have betrayed your dear children. Still, when I try to figure it out, all I get was a splitting headache until I entered the sanctuary of God. Then I saw the whole picture. The slippery road you've put them on with the final crash in a ditch of delusions. In the blink of an eye, disaster. A blind curve in the dark and nightmare. We wake up and rub our eyes, nothing. There's nothing to them and there never was. When I was beleaguered and bittered, totally consumed by envy, I was totally ignorant, a dumb ox in your very presence. I'm still in your presence, but you've taken my hand. You wisely and tenderly lead me, and then you bless me. You're all I want in heaven. You're all I want on earth. When my skin sags and my bones get brittle, God is rock firm and faithful. Look, those who left you are falling apart. Deserters, they'll never be heard from again. But I'm in the very presence of God. Oh, how refreshing it is. I've made Lord God my home. God, I'm telling the world what you do. Throw stones on it, if you will, but I think that's interesting, you know. It does capture the spirit. It's not a translation, though, okay? And uh, I was going to say, geez, Tim, that's a lot of Bible reading, right? Yeah. Um, that's probably some of you may be thinking that. Can't you just explain it and read it already? And my answer is, yes, I can, but I won't. <laughs> because the Bible's our foundation, right? We should be spending time reading that. Public reading of Scripture is one of the foundations of the Christian faith, right? And I'm not saying that we don't do enough of that here. We're going to do it here in just a minute. So I want you to help me with this, okay? Because I'm not going to do all the work. There is no PowerPoint. I'm not going to write on the board. You have to think. So get your Bibles out. Go to the top of verse, uh, of verse 1 of, of 73. And let's see if together we can separate this Psalm 73. So for those who just joined us, Psalm 73 is where we are. Let's see if we can divide this, and this, we have to have participation here, into at least three parts, okay? So at least in three parts. So what do you think the first part or the first part of this Psalm is all about? God's relationship to his people. That's a good one. Anything else? 
Hey, let me ask you, let me follow up with that. What, how, why is that? Because it says God is good to Israel. Yeah, yeah, God is good to Israel. And it ends with something good, too. So it's like a sandwich of... To the pure of heart. Yeah, okay. Anything else? Go through those verses. What's the problem here? Let me ask it that way. What's the problem? The wicked prosper. The wicked pro <laughs> That's it, bingo. Uh, a Hebrew word for the day. Bidiuk. Bidiuk means exactly. So if you say to somebody in Israel or the Hebrew speaker, bidiuk, that means they got it right. The problem is that, that right there. And isn't it great that we have a, a, a Bible that is a book that deals with things that are real like that? It's not simply pushing us to be better people and to just to renew ourselves with our own energies. No, it's not doing any of that, okay? It's saying, hey, God is righteous. Follow him, he's got the answers. Uh, I, I was gonna play this little sound clip where this guy goes, the Bible's got the good, son. Read it, you know what I mean? Something like that, but I didn't, I didn't do it. Uh, so the problem is, and I wanna be careful here because it's not, we have a specific person here that's speaking. Who is it? Asaph, right? So Asaph is writing the psalm. This is very revealing. So here he is guy, he's in charge of the worship of the temple in Jerusalem, and he's speaking like this publicly, okay? He, he wrote this. So what's his problem? The problem is that he's seeing the wicked prosper, but, but that's a description, I think, of the cause. What's really the result there? I'm thinking of bitterness and resentment. He... Je jealousy, can we, can we compromise that those are related? So bitterness and resentment, jealousy, it's just a little salad of bad stuff right there. And rather than keeping it inside, he's writing about it. So the problem is bitterness and resentment towards God when the bad guys are winning. Okay, so that's the first chunk there. We're going to see that kind of repeat itself later on, uh, further down the psalm. Now what about the second part? What's the second main section? He goes through some description, and uh, there's a word in there. The word, I think, is, is, it could be in your translation, until or then. He almost caught himself kind of agreeing or, or <laughs> supporting that, that perspective that the wicked prosper and nothing happens to them. He almost was, uh, I don't know. I'm not sure what the word is, but he, he, he caught himself. Yeah, he came close to stumbling. Yeah. And then there's a change of heart, right? There's a change of heart. Look for those verses. And we, let's take our time doing that. We still got 35 minutes of, uh, well, 30 minutes here, so we can do this. So see, find me a verse that shows when it changed or what caused it to change. Take your time doing it. Okay, read it out loud. Okay. Bidiuk. Bidiuk. That's right on. All right. And this seems to, did that come out of the blue? That process kind of just kind of appeared out of the blue? You have to sit down and think about it. I think that's a good point. There was some thought process involved. He's thinking about it. He had to have had some background, being that he's a Levitical, he, know, he knows where to find God is my point. I'm going to get right to it. He knows where to find God. And in the Old Testament, where did you find God? 
in his sanctuary, in the temple. The Shekinah glory of God in visible form, either by cloud sometimes would appear when the sacrifices are being made or a pillar of fire. That was a reality for them. It didn't happen all the time, but it happened. But they knew that if they went there, God's going to be there. Now, this brings up something we have to address is the fact that the Holy Spirit, that when we receive it as believers today, the Holy Spirit indwells us permanently. But in the Old Testament, David had, he would pray, please do not take your Holy Spirit away from me, because back then it wasn't permanent. So this man knows where the answer lies. And he goes through, I, I actually have it on my notes that first there was a sin, but the truth is that that's not fair to Asaph if he was standing here and say, hey, wait a minute, I wrote, I, I almost slipped. So that's his issue, his problem. So I wrote here in my notes repentance, but I'm thinking of repentance not because he sinned, but because he's changing his perspective. Yes? I think it's a, a matter of before he entered into the Shekinah glory, the temple, uh -huh. um, that, that his focus was horizontal. And Bingo. once he came into the presence of the Lord, his focus became vertical. Uh, here's, here's what I wrote. The view is away from horizontal to vertical. That was my notes on here. Now, let, let's take it, since we're talking about that, let's take a little detour for a second. What is happening in the temple every single day? Sacrifices are being done. Okay. What do these sacrifices look like? Describe them to me. <laughs> Lots of blood. In fact, I can't help myself. We've got a couple minutes here. The second temple had a whole water system that was designed to make, wash all that blood out through a bunch of tunnels underneath it out to the Kidron Valley. That's how many, how much blood was going through there. It's amazing. So, uh, so they had to segregate cisterns to, to contain, get water in a system to wash all that off. Can you imagine the mess that would be? A bunch of coagulated blood, a bunch of animals. So what's going on in the temple during the first temple period? The same thing that was going on in the second temple period. Lots of sacrifice. And the point there is that sacrifice is happening because of sin. Now, granted, there are Thanksgiving sacrifices being offered and whatnot. But sacrifice, the death of an animal for sin. And the next one that follows that, sin has consequences. So God will judge sin. In the Old Testament, he, those sacrifices were covering sin. But God will judge sin. So I think that when he goes to the temple, he realizes that wickedness will be dealt with, will be punished. And I think that's part of his change of heart. Okay, that's part of his change of heart. I want to ask a question, and you guys all know the answer, so it's a little it's a fancy word, pedantic, but be with me here. Where does he, God, dwell now? What, what was that? In us. In us. Hey, is that true? Can you back that up biblically? I sure, you sure can. 1 Corinthians 6, 19. Do you not know that your body is a temple of the Holy Spirit, okay, with you, whom you have from? From God. How about another one? Ephesians 3, uh, 14 through 17. I'm going to read the whole thing. For this reason, I bow my knees before the Father, from whom every family in heaven and on earth is named. Interesting. This is not Mormon doctrine here. From every form, every family in heaven and on earth is named. That according to the riches of his glory, he may grant you to be strengthened with power through his spirit in your inner being, spirit, so that Christ may dwell in your hearts. That's the second person of the Trinity right there. 
that you being rooted and grounded in love may have strength to comprehend with all the saints what is the breadth, the length, the height, the depth, and to know the love of Christ that surpasses knowledge that you may be filled with all the fullness of God. So, man, we have a lot more going for us than Asaph did, you know what I mean? Um, and I say that because we have... Uh, there's a concept that we've been working on, a progressive revelation. The canon of the Scripture is complete. There's not going to be anything added out there. We don't have prophets nowadays that are going to say, hey, add more stuff to the Scripture. But God does not say, hey, guys, here's the whole story right from the beginning. He progressively reveals until we get what Jude said, and this takes us back to Jude, we have the whole thing. Well, we have the whole thing that we need to have right now to live lives of righteousness and pureness before Him. Are we going to discover new things about God when we die or are raptured? Yes, we will. And that's the cool thing. There's no plan. I'm going to go on a little squirrel. Um, and it's, it's, there is no, this concept of being in heaven playing a harp sitting on a cloud is completely foreign to Scripture. Okay, that's not how it works. We might get done a little early today. This is good. So what's the, so we got two parts so far. We got this problem Asaph is having, right? We have this change of heart. And we kind of know how it happens. He goes to the temple. He sees things. And, and what's the outcome? What's the outcome? What's the result of all this? See if, see if you can detect something in there. He's encouraged by the truth of, of reality, of what God's planning to do. Okay. Good. How about we break it into two categories? There's two outcomes, actually, for two different groups of people. So, what are these two groups of people? The faithful and the unfaithful. Okay, so the righteous and the unrighteous. All right, uh, period. And let's go on a little a rabbit chase. How were people saved in the Old Testament? How was Asaph? How did he end up in heaven? Belief. Belief. Prove it. <laughs> Is salvation by grace through faith for Asaph? Okay. Give me some examples. I mean, how do you, how do you justify that? Okay. All right. Well, if you're going to quote scripture, read it back. <laughs> so find it and read it. So, and we'll take our time here with that. In Hebrews 11, it says, by faith, Abel brought more acceptable offering. By faith, Enoch. By faith, followers. So All right. It was by faith. I believe it. That sounds good. All right, I get it. That's good. So when we keep talking about the righteous, I just want to make the point that the righteous here are not by going to the temple and sacrificing animals and doing all those things. By the way, how much faith would it take if you know you've done something wrong and you've got to bring this lamb to the temple? That's an act of faith and of obedience kind of wrapped up in one, right? So that's just something to think about. So the outcome for the righteous, if we look in there, what do we see? What's the, can we summarize that? What's the outcome for the righteous? For Asaph specifically, what's the outcome? What, how does he speak? What does he say? God is his everything. He's his refuge. What else? His strength. What else? What's that? He won't, he won't perish. That's a good one. We're getting somewhere, too, with that. He won't perish. So if you're not perishing, what, do you, what happens? You're, you're living, right? So 
life with God. I think a good way to summarize it, he gets to live with God. And it's a very real life with God starting not when he goes to heaven, but right there in the temple as he's beholding all those things, still looking at the wicked. By the way, on a, another scroll run here, who was the wicked during the time of Asaph? Wait a second, we had King David. You know, King David was the king at the time. How can there be any wicked? Hint, a sermon that Pastor Doug preached about three weeks ago. His name started with a Joe and then with an Ab. Joab was running around and he was a murderer and he was in charge of all the troops. And what did David say to, uh, excuse me, yeah, what did David say to Solomon? Take care of him. And I don't mean like send him to a nice place, like. <laughs> um, so we're going to take a minute here just to address something that if you read commentaries or you study this passage further, needs to be addressed, I think. We're, we're, we, we can handle this. So um, there's this, so when we're standing here from the, new, the perspective of the New Testament, looking back at this passage through time, we tend to think that what's happening here is something more eschatological, like something more related to what happens in the end, what happens to our soul after we die. But when, some, when Asaph was writing this, we need to understand that from his perspective, he's looking for God's righteousness right there and there during his own lifetime. I know that's troubling, and it, because, but I'm talking about his perspective. It's not that he, that, that what the way we're looking at it with the fullness of the revelation of God is wrong or that he was wrong to stating that, but his primary concern, oh, God is going to judge these wicked people and, it's gonna, and I'm going to probably see it. Okay? And we're looking at it and go, of course God's going to judge the people because eventually the world will end. We're going to be with the Lord. He's going to come back, right? And, well, let me back that up. The world will end over here. We're going to be raptured or we're going to die. We're going to come back from the Lord, with the Lord. We're going to rule for a thousand years. Visible, Jesus is going to be visible in Jerusalem. And, man, all those promises of the Old Testament, are they going to find their fulfillment? Yeah, that's true. And this perspective that God judges people and it's going to happen in front of our eyes is also true. We don't have to go like, well, that's over here and that's over there. No, these two, both are true. And that's why there's this fullness of the scriptures and revealing things to us and helping us understand things. Now, that should lend us to pray. And we're going to get into that a little bit. When we have unrighteousness going on, rather than praying, woe is me, God, judge this. May the Lord rebuke you. See where I'm going with this? Get a little uh, excited about that. So the outcome of the wicked, destruction. And of the righteous, life with God. Now, I'm going to take a moment be before I read the New Living Translation version of 73, which is a good compromise because it's a translation between the message and the ESV. But before I do that, is there any questions, objections to anything I've said so far? Any comments? Remember, the whole point here is how do we live with unrighteousness going crazy? Yes. Um, I was just thinking that, <clears throat> pardon me, uh, in the beginning mm -hmm. of this psalm, Asaph is recognizing that, hey, I almost blew it. Mm -hmm. Good way to put it. Then he goes on, and in verse 24, uh, well, verse 23, the last half, it says, you've taken a hold of my right hand, and your counsel will guide me. Mm -hmm. So he's, and then afterwards it says you, uh, and afterwards mm -hmm. you glory. So 
acknowledging that he has to depend on the Lord for his guidance mm-hmm. and direction and that his eyes have to be on God exactly. to not fall down. Mm-hmm. All true. All, all very true. And that's a little bit of what we're going to talk about next. So you're, you're ahead of the game. This is great. So let's get to the application here. But before I do that, I'm going to read it through the NLT. Okay? I'm going to read it through the NLT. So just, again, I, again just chillax and listen. And let's see what the, how the NLT renders this. Okay? So here it comes. And as I read this one, I'm actually going to kind of comment as I read. Okay? And feel free to you comment as well. So please say something if you, like, hey, what about that? So Psalm 73, a psalm of Asaph. Truly God is good to Israel, to those whose hearts are pure. But as for me, I almost lost my footing. My feet were slipping and I was almost gone. And this is the crux here. Here's the problem. For I envied the proud when I saw them prosper despite their wickedness. Remember the reactions we can have, be overly concerned with end time stuff to the point where it affects our our ministry and our witness, or hey, I don't care because apparently God doesn't care either, okay? So I'm thinking that there's something going on here that might be causing him to think that way, and it's obviously, here's the problem. For I envied the problem, I saw them prosper despite their wickedness. Verse four, they seem to live such painless lives. Now it's important that word seem right there. Because the truth is, is that a lot of times they're not living painless lives, right? Uh, They seem to live such painless lives. Their bodies are so healthy and strong. They don't have troubles like other people. They're not plagued with problems like everyone else. They wear pride like a jeweled necklace and clothe themselves with cruelty. These fat cats have everything their hearts could ever wish for. This is the New Living Translation, not the message, okay? They scoff and speak only evil in their pride. Notice the pride is used there twice. Interesting. They speak to crush others. So they use their words to just crush others. They boast against the very heavens, and their words strut throughout the earth. And here's the consequence of all that. And so the people are dismayed and confused. But we shouldn't be dismayed and confused, right? Drinking in all their words. Because they're saying, what does God know, they ask. Does the Most High even know what's happening? Look at these wicked people enjoying a life of ease while their riches multiply. Did I keep my heart pure for nothing? It's okay in prayer to have this kind of discussion with the Lord, okay? In the privacy of your prayer room, it's okay. Did I keep myself innocent for no reason? I get nothing but trouble all day long. Every morning brings me pain. If I had really spoken this way to others, I, I would have been a traitor to your people. So I tried to understand why the wicked prosper. Isn't that what we're all trying to do? Why is this happening? But what a difficult task it is. Verse 17, then I went into your sanctuary, O God, and finally understood the destiny of the wicked. What is the destiny of the wicked? They were perished. Perished suddenly. Destruction. Truly, you put them on a slippery path and send them sliding over the cliff to destruction. In an instant, the instant they are destroyed, completely swept away by terrorists. When you, we, when you arise, O Lord, you will laugh at their silly ideas as a person laughs at dreams in the morning. Then I realized that my heart was bitter, okay, and I was all torn up inside. This is that, that's what's happening. I was so foolish and ignorant, I must have seemed like a senseless, senseless animal to you. Yet... I still belong to you. Isn't that wonderful? 
You hold my right hand. You guide me with your counsel, leading me to a glorious destiny. Whom have I in heaven but you? I desire you more than anything on earth. I want us to be like that. I want to be like that. My health may fail and my spirit may grow weak, but God remains the strength of my heart. He is mine forever. Those who desert him will perish, for you destroy those who abandon you. That's the result for the wicked. But as for me, how good it is to be near God. I have made the sovereign Lord my shelter, and I will tell everyone about the wonderful things uh, you do. Now, let's put an application to this, okay? So if this is Tim, if this is Tim's attitude when I'm looking at wickedness, what does Tim need to do? Change his perspective. Change your perspective. So if you're like this right now, change your perspective. If you meet fellow believers at Ali, help them to change their perspective, to change their focus. Okay? Turn from this and turn to the Lord through His Word and through prayer and through fellowship, good counsel with other believers. By the way, prayer, fellowship, and Bible are the essence of any church or Christian activity, right? So let me put a plug in here for home fellowships coming up in September. One of the things I think we miss here at Mid-Valley, we have been missing in part due to COVID, is we don't have enough fellowship. We don't spend enough time with each other outside the context of this building. And we need to, we need to rectify that. So we're going to do that. You're going to see announcements about that in August. And then uh, they'll start in the fall. And we have about six groups uh, with a group leader and you sign up and we're going to assign you to different groups. We're not going to let you pick your own groups because my wife already told me she's going to go to Doug's group if he had one or Ken's group. So we're going to solve that problem is we're going to mix things up. We're going to mix things up. It's going to run September, October, November. We'll take December off. The leaders will get together, do some reevaluating, see what we need to change. Then we'll run January, February, March, April, May. So at least once a month, you'll be getting together with a group of four couples and doing something fun together. And the leaders will do a good job, I hope. If not, we will talk about it. How to incorporate prayer. It could be as simple as praying over a meal, okay? And how to incorporate the Word of God into the things that we're doing. Here's a vision of how that looks like. Uh, Larry Taft told me that his group's probably going to go, I'm putting him on the spot here, uh, go tubing up in Park City. Hey, get all together and pray before you go to me so don't break any bones. Okay, that's a good way to incorporate prayer into it without making it over like, oh. But another thing is Pastor Doug, and I hope he really does this, he will. <laughs> he will provide me with three or four discussion questions from the sermon series he's doing. I'll pass those on to the leaders like Luke, and he will share that with his group. Maybe there'll be, there'll be a time for that, okay? So if the, if the problem with seeing wickedness in the world, okay, is that we lose our focus, by being in the Bible, being in the Word of God, being in prayer, and being in fellowship with other believers, not only helps, that's the answer to it. So meditate on Psalm 73 this week. Encourage people to do that. Seek the counsel of fellow believers. Work hard at what the Lord has placed before you to do. So if the Lord has placed, given you a task to do, go do it. Don't, don't sit around going, I wonder if this is God's will. Well, how about talking with some other people and get some advice? That might be the answer, okay? Don't, don't waste time. So let's wrap this up. I want somebody to go to 1 Thessalonians 5. Well, how about everybody go? 1 Thessalonians 5, starting on verse 16. I'm going to read it just so you can follow along. So 1 Thessalonians 5, uh, and uh, starting on verse 16, I'm going to read 16 to 18. And I'm going to jump in there and read it. Rejoice always. Rejoice always. Pray without ceasing. No, ceasing. Pray without ceasing. Give thanks in all circumstances. Oh, wait a minute. No, 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 no. 
Okay, I'll do it. For this is the will of God. In, okay, I'll definitely do it now. Uh, in Christ Jesus for me, oh, for you. No, that's for me too. Okay, wait a minute. Philippians 4.4, 4. and I'm going to read a whole bunch of verses there too. Rejoice in the Lord always. Again, I say rejoice. Okay, Paul, I got it. Let your reasonable, I love that word, reasonableness. Let your reasonableness be known to everyone as opposed to unreasonableness. Huh, okay. The Lord is at hand. He wrote this 2,000 years ago. Well, I guess that's the way we need to live. The Lord is at hand. Do not be anxious about anything. I'm going to insert Tim. Tim, do not be anxious about anything. My wife knows me. But in everything, by what? With what? Let your what? Be known to who? And the peace of who? Which surpasses what? Will guard what? And minds. It's a double. God, it's so good. It's not just your mind. Oh, thanks. That's really intellectually satisfying. No, it's my heart too. Oh, thank you, God. All right. So here's one reason, one gosh darn good reason why we can and should rejoice always. Psalm 73. Yay. Okay. But let me add a little poem to it. We are his and he has won and he's coming back for us. Meanwhile, Let's be about his business. It doesn't rhyme, but it doesn't have to. Okay? So, here's one reason why we can and should rejoice always. Because we are his, and he has won. He's coming back for us. Meanwhile, let's be about his business. Okay? Here's one reason why we can and should pray without ceasing. Because we are his. He has and he's coming back for us, right? And meanwhile, let's be about his business. And here's how, oh, this is so important because we sometimes don't tell people how to do things or we feel like God is not telling us how to do things. And here's how we can give thanks in all circumstances, the one that I least like because I don't understand it. Because we are his and he has won and he's coming back for us. Meanwhile, let's be about his business. So let me talk about circumstances real quick. I need it more than you do. Don't let the circumstances of life drag you down. We will win. We will win. We're on the winning team because Jesus done did it all. And here's what uh, D.M. Martin, a commentator, said. And I think this is so nice. We're almost, it's almost over. Paul never instructed the church to thank God. Let me read that slowly. Paul never instructed the church to thank God for evil events. Paul never instructed the church to thank God for evil events. Okay. But to thank God that even in evil times and circumstances, our hope remains and God continues his work in our lives. Isn't that wonderful? Thank you, Mr. Martin. Let's pray. Father, I want to thank you for your word. It's so precious. It's so, it's so good. And uh, it's a reflection of who you are. You are good. And Lord, I, I confess that at times I look into the world and I just listen to the words of your son ringing in my head because unrighteousness will increase. The love of many will grow cold. Oh, Lord, don't let that be me. I don't want to have my love grow cold for you or for your people. So if there's anybody here like me that is struggling with that, Lord, let us, let us turn to you. 
Help us, Lord. Help us to be willing to be willing where we're not willing. And open our eyes to see you just as you are. A God that's our Father, that loves us, and that left us with everything that we need to live righteous lives. As some fall to the left and others fall to the right, Lord, help us to walk that narrow path with you because you've got our hands and you're holding us like a kid walking with his dad, like that child being held by his mother and being comforted because a lot of times we're just like him, Lord. We're children. You're, you, we're your children. So we pray all these things. Pray your blessing upon these people. And I pray this in the name of Jesus, the Messiah. Amen and amen. All right, you are dismissed, and if you have any questions, comments, concerns, see Pastor Doug. You might catch him in his office.